Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. You've joined us for the episode for Sunday, January 10th, 2021. I just have to say as we start, what a week. What a week that we have had. Only God can help America. And by the way, if you've ever wondered what a nation without God's help would look like, the clues are everywhere. Now, the roadmap back is in the Bible. The problem is Satan changes the road signs, and we get very confused. Now, back in the Old Testament times, there were faithful prophets of God, but there were also false prophets in the Old Testament, lots of them, and way, 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 way more than the faithful prophets. In New Testament times that we're in now, not only the written New Testament, but the the church age that we're in, there are faithful teachers, always have been in the church, but there are plenty of false teachers both in the New Testament, you know, the written New Testament, and now, right now, in the church age, you know, as we're living in the New Testament times. That leaves many people, many believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, dazed and confused and frustrated. But I want you to know, I want you to remind you today, and this even applies to America, Jesus Christ is large and in charge. Say, well, why don't things change? Why, why, why do I see the things that I see and very little changes? Well, let me tell you something. God sees, he sees it too, and he waits, but that doesn't mean that he will not set things right. We're going to be in the book of 2 Peter today, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 22. Now, I'm going to be reading from the King James Version of the Bible. You may have a different translation, such as New American Standard uh, or another Bible, and that's fine. But if you want to follow along uh, literally with what I'm reading, you can go to Bible Gateway and look for the King James Version, and you'll be right with me. Now, I'm not a King James-only guy, but I have no problem with the King James Version It's what I grew up with, have preached and taught from, although I also have taught from the New American Standard. But my scripture memory is in terms of King James Version, and this is no time to change, right? (laughs) I need to remember all the scripture that I can, and that's where I started, and that's what I stayed with. All right. By the way, if you hear my creaking easy chair, and it's not very easy feeling sometimes, but if you hear my chair creaking, that's proof that I'm not a bot, even though I am in my fashionable east side studio. Yeah, right. But anyway, you know I'm real. Second Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 22. Now, this is a, uh, a lot of verses here, a lot of text that we're going to cover. And I think what I'm going to do is, um, the reason I mentioned you following along, maybe in King James or at least in your whatever translation you have, is I I want you to see where the Bible is speaking and where I'm making comments. Does that make sense? I don't want somebody who's not uh, thoroughly familiar with 2 Peter or with the Bible in general to think that some of my comments are right there in the Bible, and, and you can see the difference. And I'll try to uh, uh, point that out as well. All right, the title of the episode today is Pilgrims in Babylon, that is, as believers in Jesus Christ, the earth, this worldly system is not our home. That's why we feel increasingly like strangers here. We are just travelers. We are we are wanderers, pilgrims, sojourners, nomads almost, making our way through a wicked fallen world system, this, this earthly Babylon that we're in. 
to heaven with Jesus Christ. But you know, as we go through our life and our experience down here, many times we we know that we need justice and we cry out for that and we wonder, well, why doesn't God do something? And that has been a question many times. For example, Job in the Old Testament and many others have had. So you're not special or new if you're wondering that. But this chapter assures us that God will indeed, in the perfect time and the perfect way, bring spiritual justice. You know, a lot of people are crying out today for social justice. I want to remind you something. We should treat each other like we would like to be treated, and that solves everything. You get it? But only only when we're rooted and grounded and in Christ with his power are we able to do that because in our own own way of thinking, when somebody harms us or wrongs us, we want to lash out. And by the way, here's another sobering thought. If the world actually got the true justice that it deserves, this would be a vacant planet. Oh, yes, it would. So let's talk about spiritual justice. Second Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 22. Now, let me tie this together because if you go back and look in our last episode or you just turn back to the chapter before chapter 2, at the end of chapter 1 in Second Peter, you'll see that he says there that we have a more sure word of prophecy. We've got the written word of God. That, it, that was not written by men about God. It was written by God for men and through men, okay? So it is the Word of God. It is perfect without error. And if you guide your life by the Word of God as a Christian, you will have much peace, much blessing, much success, and your life will be much better than it ever would have been doing things your own way. So at the end of chapter 1, the Apostle Peter, remember he's the fisherman Peter that became a, a learner, a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry. And he is the same one that denied Christ three times at the trials. You remember that. And yet, after the resurrection of Christ, his, his faith was restored, Peter was restored, and he was made a um, hand-picked ambassador, an apostle, an authoritative messenger of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that capacity, God's Spirit spoke through Peter and Peter wrote First and Second Peter. So this is the man who's come all the way from those younger years, maybe in his, I don't know, teens or 20s or 30s when he first met Christ, and now he's an older man, and he knows, and we're going to see this in, in, uh, as we go forward. We mentioned it before. We'll see it as we finish Second Peter. He knows he's about to die. In fact, he mentions that in Second Peter chapter 1. And he wants the church to know many specific things so that they can make it after he's not there to help them. Does all of that make sense? So he's just told them that the, that the sure word of prophecy, shining like a light in a very dark place, is the Bible, which we're looking at today. So remember that thought. And now I'm going to read verse 1. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. So we see here that Peter says, yes, the Bible is completely trustworthy. The problem is sometimes the people who teach it or even quote it. And he says, think about it. Even among the Jewish people in the Old Testament, although there were great prophets of God like 
Ezekiel and Elijah and Moses and Daniel, there were also false prophets among the people. That is, they were right there, they were Jewish, they were right there with the Jewish people among them, confusing them and leading them astray. And he, so he says there, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. So even in the church, there are those who teach what he says, uh, who shall privily, that is secretly, they don't put up a sign that says, hey, I'm about to mislead you. They don't do that. They do this very stealthily, very crafty like a fox. Um, they, they secretly shall bring in, privily shall bring in damnable heresies. That is, there's orthodoxy, that is the straight doctrine of the Bible, and there's heterodoxy, which is a different doxy or teaching than the Bible teaches, and that's what they secretly bring in, and people don't notice it. And it's often done at the uh, Bible college and seminary level, but it, it surely is also done in the church congregations themselves. How bad can it get? He says here, even denying the Lord that bought them like denying the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, denying that he was God in human form on the earth, denying that there was actually a real, literal, physical resurrection, denying that there is going to be a literal, real, physical return of the Lord Jesus Christ to this earth to rule it. All of this kind of thing that's Bible doctrine they secretly bring in different teachings that are to be condemned. God condemns them. And he says it can get so bad that they even deny the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Now, right about now, the really smart ones among us are saying, yeah, yeah, that's the point. Where's the swift destruction? Oh, it's coming, and it won't be late. I want you to know that. Say, but, 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 you know, it's been 2,000 years. It's been a long time. Hey, remember, we as creatures are trapped within a creation called time. It is a dimension that we're stuck in until we leave this physical life. Do you follow that? And you know that Peter says that a one day's with the Lord, a, a thousand years with the Lord is like one day with us. Say, well, that ain't helping me much right now. Just hang in there, all right? Quit complaining. <laughs> but, but God's going to hold them accountable for this. Verse 2, here's the problem. It'd be one thing if somebody was a nut job teaching false doctrine and nobody listened. The problem is people do listen. They get dazed and confused. And verse 2, and many shall follow their pernicious ways. You know, that is their, their lousy way of living and their even lousier Bible teaching. And many shall follow their pernicious ways. So we see that uh, not only are, are they doing some things that we, we need to recognize, what are they doing? They're bringing in, their, they secretly subvert, their secret subversion or undercutting of the truth in the church. But there's also public popularity. I mean, Truthfully, a lot of people who are teaching false doctrine are wildly popular, and many shall follow their pernicious ways. Their churches aren't empty. They're full. They're, they're on TV everywhere. That doesn't mean every preacher on TV is a false teacher, but the false teachers are on there for sure. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. You know, the devil, you have to give him his due. He's very clever. He not only messes the church up this way, but the, but the lost world that just watches all of this, they start thinking, yeah, they're all alike. There's no real difference. This isn't true. There's, Jesus is just not real, and the Bible's not real. And look at all these hypocrites, you know, and that way of thinking. And many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Now, what's wrong with that? 
Well, the way of truth is the way out of the burning building. But if the people watching reject the way of truth, they're going to die. You know, if they won't go out the only exit from the burning building, they will die. And that's, that's the problem. They don't realize that, of course. But false teachers are, are not harmless or innocent. They wreck churches and they keep lost people unsaved. Wow. I mean, even right now, there's a major church brand. I hate even using that word. The, God did not create this beautiful bride of Christ, the church of Christ, to be some kind of franchise brand, to be put all over the world with you know, a certain way of doing everything to make sinners comfortable in their sin. Um, but one of the, the, probably the best well-known church brand in the world is going through a time where false teaching um, and, and, and also apparently false living has brought great doubt within that church brand and the, the outside world is laughing and mocking. Case closed. Verse 3. And through covetousness, that is just greed, just um, anything for a dollar, wanting more money. How much money is enough? Just one more dollar. Just another million. Just another billion. And through covetousness, which by the way, uh, we are not to covet. That's one of the Ten Commandments. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words... That is, like, they're good, they sound good, they tell great stories, people enjoy listening to them, but it's all untrue. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make, listen to this, make merchandise of you. Wow. Hear my creaky chair. <laughs> what I want to zero in here on that word, using the word merchandise and I hate this word, not, not the word in the Bible, but I hate it when I hear people on uh, podcasts, especially who are related to churches and so forth, talk about their merch. I hate that phrase. It's, it is not wrong for a ministry to offer you know, helpful books, by pastors and Bible studies and, you know, that kind of thing, uh, message series, you know, and people pay a reasonable price for those so that they can enjoy them, give them as gifts and so on. Not saying that's wrong. Here's what I want you to know. It's a very thin line. I don't even know if I know where it is, so I just stay away from it. It's a very thin line between offering things like that from a heart of ministry to offering it as merchandise. But they, he says here, and through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. They make money off of you. Now again, that's not every preacher who's on some type of media or in a, in a church, but false teachers do that for sure whose judgment, I'm going back to the Bible now, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. In other words, God hasn't forgotten about this. He knows about it. God sees and waits. And I'm going to help you at the end of this with a, a quote that some of you may know, but it, it'll be new to most of you, and it's going to help you a lot. On this, and remember, we are trapped in time. God is not. As far as God's concerned, their judgment has already been executed. Now we we have a hard time understanding that because we're trapped within time. Verse four, and he's going to give examples here of of when the world and things out of this world and people got out of line and God dropped the hammer. All right? Four, verse four, for if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. So that's his first example. He's going to give several 
So these were the angels that rebelled with Lucifer, who was an angel. And God kicked them out of heaven, all right? And some of them, they're, they're now demons. They're no longer angels on God's side, and they're, they're, they can't be redeemed. They will always be enemies of God and of mankind that God loves and created. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. So as a number one example, God dealt with angels, so that was a heavenly judgment. But now verse 5 moves to earthly judgment. See, I'll say about verse 4, like, I believe it, but I can't see it. Well, verse 5, people saw. People experienced it. Verse 5, what is that? And spared not the old world. Now, let me stop right there. When you look out at the creation, you see, although it, it obviously derives from the creation God made because he started it all, and yes, I believe that God created the heavens and the earth just like the Bible says. I believe that. Absolutely. And we could talk about science and all of that. I'm not against that. But God created this world, and I believe, it, he, I believe he did it in six literal days. And, you know, maybe I should do a series on that sometimes. But anyway... By the way, Jesus Christ talked about verse 5. So he knows what I'm about to read is true. So the next example is not, you know, right after the angels that he kicked out and are now demons. Verse 5, And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing the flood in upon the world of the ungodly. Did you know that fossils are found in places on mountaintops that belong on the bottom of seabeds? Did you know that there is as there are vast amounts there is vast amounts of evidence of sudden death on on animals that died immediately and have been preserved, by the way, through ice and so forth, but they were in a tropical condition and died instantly. Boom. How could this happen? Flood. Universal, global flood. Did you know that every religion in the world has a flood story? And right now you're saying, yeah, so what, Pastor Ed? So do Christians. So that just proves it's just a story, right? No, it proves a real event occurred and the rest of humanity still talking about it, all right? Even though they've fanned out into false religions. But, and, and spared not the old world, that is the world before the flood, right? But saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. God destroyed the world, and every person in it, except eight people, Noah and his family, and the animals, uh, the land animals and birds and so forth that God sent to Noah in the ark. And by the way, if you're not too sure about how, the whole ark thing, I got, I'm just going to have to do a series on this, probably. I don't have time to do it today, but... Um, you should study that more if you don't believe it. I'll put it like that. Verse 6. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow. So we see he judged the world in the flood by water, and he judged Sodom and Gomorrah with fire. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. And their major sin was homosexuality. And I'm sure there were other great sins there as well. But it, it was a wild place. And yet there were people in it that believed in God. And we're going to read about one of those. But God judged Sodom and Gomorrah with fire from heaven. And by the way, 
archaeologists know where these cities were. They're around the Dead Sea, and they're there. The evidence is there. Wow. So we see the angels that rebelled were judged. We've seen God judge the pre-flood world through the flood. We see the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah in verse 6. And now, this is really neat. Verse 7, see, we've talked about like the whole world, entire cities, and group, a group of angels. But now, verse 7, because your question ought to be today is, hey, some, some people are feeling this way. Hey, forget helping America. I'm afraid. Is God going to help me? Verse 7 and delivered just Lot. That is, he was just, he was righteous. He believed in God. And delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation, that means lifestyle, of the wicked. Where did he live, by the way? He lived uh, in Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> that, was, that was where he moved to. He chose to move there. I guess he thought that he could influence them and change them. I don't know. But anyway, he was a true believer in God. God says so and delivered just lot. But I want you to know that he paid a price and his family paid a price because he moved there. He was the, um, I think I have this right, I believe he was the nephew of Abraham. But God delivered him. But Watch what he says here about Lot's experience. And this just makes me feel like this is how we're starting to feel about the whole world today. Like I've heard so many people say within the last week or so, this the whole world's gone crazy. Well, by the way, prophetically, they haven't seen anything yet. This is just the warm-up. These are the pregame drills for the tribulation, but it's gone nuts for sure. Verse 8. For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. So it isn't even that Lot did anything wrong, so to speak. He just couldn't help but living among and seeing and hearing all the sin going on around him. It was bringing him down. And a lot of you feel that way today. Sometimes I feel that way. But then I remember verse 9. All right? The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations, that's trials, and to, excuse me, and to reserve the unjust under the day of judgment to be punished. I'm going to read it again. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. Amen. Verse 10. Now he goes back here, and we're going to see as we go through to false teachers and, and people who follow false teachers, all right? But chiefly them that walk after the flesh, that is, they live a very worldly life. There doesn't seem to be any life of the Spirit of God in them. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh, what feels good, looks good, tastes good, um, sounds good, so on, just no regard to the Word of God. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, Presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. These are people, and false teachers do this, and so do their followers, who um, nobody tells them what to do. That's basically what this is saying. They do whatever they want. That's what I just read. I hope you heard it. But chiefly then that walk after the flesh and the lust of uncleanness and despise government that is nobody, not even God, can tell them what to do. Presumptuous are they, self-will. They're not doing the will of God, they're doing their will. Self-will, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. In other words, they even uh, speak abusively toward angels, toward demons, uh, 
specifically probably, towards Satan. Now, verse 11 is going to explain that nobody should be doing that. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, that is, than a person, right? Whereas angels, like the angel Gabriel, the angel Michael, and so on, whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. Now, if, if any being could or should, an angel should be able to do that, right? But even angels don't mock Satan or speak evil, uh, you know, abusively against demonic spirits. They just should say, um, you know, I rebuke you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's it. Verse 12. But these, as natural brute beasts, I mean, they're like just animals. But these, as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. Now remember, he's talking about false teachers and those that follow false teachers. Verse 13, And shall receive the reward of unrighteousness, as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. That is, they, and they just live a, a life of wanton pleasure. Spots they are and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. Like even at church in the agape, the love feast that the churches had, even there they were up to no good. Verse 14, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin. I mean, they can't help it because they're lost and they are completely given over to their uh, fleshly appetites, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls. And heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children. Wow, there's nothing good to be said about false teachers or people who begin to imitate the behavior of false teachers. This is in churches, all right? I mean, obviously the world can get like this and is like this. These are among people who claim to know God, okay? That phrase, and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, the word exercise is used in Greek of those who trained for the Olympic Games and the agony and uh, pain they put themselves through to suffer pain today to live forever as a champion, you know, that kind of thing. That That's the word used here. <laughs> that false teachers really try hard to, to become the best they can at being covetous. And that's why you can see such opulent wealth surrounding false teachers. And heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children. Verse 15, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Bozor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. In other words, he, he couldn't get enough of the money he was making doing wrong, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bozor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Now, Balaam, I can't explain all this. I'm just reporting the facts. He was a prophet of God. God told him what to say, but he wanted to make money on the side because he loved the wages of unrighteousness. And God would not let him curse the people of God back in the Old Testament when they had come out of Egypt and were trying to go to the promised land. 
But Balaam came up with a plan, and the plan was he taught the enemies of God how to lead the people of God astray, and he made money doing it, all right? That's the bottom line. But watch this. Balaam was so dense that God had to do a miracle to get through to him, and it, it really happened, and you can look it up, and it's back in the Old Testament. I'm sorry I didn't look for the reference. I, I don't even want to say. Somewhere in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and so on. I think it's in Exodus or maybe Numbers. I don't know. Look it up. I, can't, I should have looked up the reference. It's a wonderful story of the sovereignty of God and the protection of God. Verse 16, but was rebuked for his iniquity. So this was sin. Like, it's like using the things of God to become enormously wealthy at the expense of the church. But was rebuked for his iniquity. Watch this. The dumb, and that word means mute, the dumb ass, and that means his donkey, okay? The dumb ass, the mute donkey, the dumb ass speaking with man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. It, this guy was so dense that God said, oh, man. And he spoke to Balaam to get his attention by speaking through this animal that, you know, I've never heard a donkey speak. Have you? Now, I've seen Francis the talking mule and Mr. Ed the horse but those are just TV shows, right? This happened. And the donkey uh, actually saved his life. The reason the donkey stopped, you'll have to read the story, but the reason the donkey stopped is God had allowed the donkey to see the angel standing in front of him that was about to take out Balaam. And the, in the, in this wonderful animal said, why are you treating me this way? I'm just paraphrasing. You know, why are you treating me this way? I'm saving your life. There's a there's an angel in front of you about to kill you. Oh, man. Go back and read it. I believe every word of that. I This is not, what I'm about to say is not Bible doctrine, but I've often wondered before the fall of man, were were animals or some of the animals able to communicate with Adam and Eve? I don't know. You know, maybe who knows that? But that would be pretty neat. You know, our dogs can communicate with us now, right? Our cats too. Cats just tell us drop dead. <laughs> our dogs say, "Hey, time for another treat," right? I've often wondered before the creation of God. Um, could animals communicate? Maybe they could. I don't know. I'm not saying they could. But right here, this one did because God made that happen. Say, so, well, I have a real problem with that. Then take it up with God when you get to heaven, all right? Um, and if you think God can't cause that to happen, your God's too small. You need a bigger God, the real God. Amen. All right, I'm going to back off of you. <laughs> Verse 17, so God is protecting his, his creation and he's protecting the world, protecting specific people, protecting Israel, right? You see this? All right, verse 17, going back to the false teachers. These are wells without water. You know, if you're thirsty and you drop a bucket down a well and all you get is dirt, that's bad. These are wells without water. In other words, they're useless. Very disappointing. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. Have you ever been in a drought and you can see, I've, I remember this many times, you can see big thark, dark thunder storm clouds coming your way. Finally, it's going to rain <laughs> Many times I've seen those just blow on by, not a drop of rain. And, you know, to end that drought, those clouds were worthless. Well, that's what false teachers are. And God says here, to whom the mist of darkness 
is reserved forever. That's hell. That's one aspect of hell. For verse 18, for when they speak great swelling words of vanity, in other words, useless words, but they sound good. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. So with their false teaching, which sounds pretty good, you know, people flock to it. They tune into it. They're just messing people up left and right. Verse 19, while they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought in bondage. Pardon my background noise, but I live in a world with a lot of people. Verse 20, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Wow, that's, those are two true proverbs, amen? That's what false teachers and their followers do. Now, I want to deal with a question here. It's not the main point of this, but just answer it to the best of my ability. I'm, I, I do not believe from the Bible and from the Lord Jesus Christ himself that a truly born-again person, a saved person, who's a new creation in Christ, I do not believe that person can ever be lost, okay? I think there are lots of people that say they are that or, or even think or believe they are that, but they're not, and their lives are train wrecks, and they're leading people astray, and some of them are false teachers, and so on. I think what, it, you know, I, I believe that's what this is talking about. And think about it like this. Let's say that someone says, you know, um, okay, this gospel thing makes sense. And they kind of start coming to church and all of that. And then, you know, something happens and they reject it and they go right back to their old lifestyle. I think we've all seen that, Right. And that's what Peter is saying in verse 22. The dog is turned to his own vomit again. You've seen dogs do that. Totally disgusting. <laughs> and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. You can, you can wash a pig, but first mud puddle that comes along is right back in it, right? So God explains here that there's secret subversion from false teachers. There's public popularity. A lot of people like them and follow them. And uh, by the way, if you don't care anything about truth and all of that, you can build a massive church today with just making people feel good and uh, comfortable in their sin and never condemn anything and so on. And uh, they'll all go to hell because they're not saved and you'll be judged for it because you're not saved either. But you can build a big church and get a lot of money like that. And um, that's not a shocker. That's always been possible. But there's secret subversion from false teachers. There's public popularity for them. But we see in these last several many verses we read, there is an eroding effect on, let's say a true church somehow gets tricked and they end up with a false teacher as long as he's there and probably long after he's gone. It will have an eroding effect on a true church of God. And Peter was worried about that. And it will have an eroding effect on a Christian's individual life. If you are listening to this podcast and you go 
to a church where you feel like, man, this is this ain't matching the Bible that I'm looking at, what, what I'm being, what I'm hearing and preaching and teaching. And sometimes even what I'm not hearing, there are loads of preachers, the majority of preachers today who will not touch prophetic things. That is wrong because Bible prophecy makes up a massive amount of the Bible. That's just one example. But teaching error or not even teaching the truth has an eroding effect not only on churches but on the individual Christian. If you are in that context, you need to find a church with true spiritual leaders, you know, faithful Bible teachers and preachers, and uh, faithful Christians in that church. You'll never find a perfect one, by the way, so give that up. But one that that's way better than what you're in because if you keep tolerating this false teaching and and it will have an eroding effect on your life spiritually and if you have children or grandchildren it will definitely have an eroding effect on them so don't put up with it get where it's right and get out of where it's wrong now here's the good news God sees and God judges. He does wait. God sees and waits. But he's also judges some now, but ultimately for sure later. Here's a quote that I've heard and read many times in my life. And I thought that it was said by Jonathan Edwards, who was a perhaps the greatest American preacher uh, back in the, I believe that was the late 1600s, but, but more probably early 1700s, I can't remember, or Cotton Mather, also a great American preacher in our early history. Um, and I knew Jonathan Edwards and Cotton Mather. They were friends of mine. <laughs> I'm not really that old. I thought one of them had written or said this, and maybe they both did, but I looked it up and I found out that a lot of people have said this, or this is attributed to a lot of people throughout history, even back to a, a guy in the second or third century. But anyway, here's the quote. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it once, and I'm going to read it slowly again because you need to write this down. The wheels of God's justice grind exceedingly slow, but they grind exceedingly fine. The wheels of God's justice grind exceedingly slow, but they grind exceedingly fine. Just remember that. Well, when's God going to do something? Oh, baby, God's going to do something, and it'll be absolute judgment against false teachers and those that follow them and against all sin in this world. But he also is able to rescue the righteous. Amen. There's heavenly justice against the demons. There's earthly justice pre-flood and post-flood. And we've seen there's macro-justice against uh, nations and cities and groups like groups of angels, but there's also micro-justice. God snatched Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah. Wow. Now, if you're a Christian and you're looking around at the world and the global reset and everything that's coming down the pike, I want you to look up because I believe the Lord is returning for his church sooner than we can even ever imagine. And that's, that's macro and micro. He's not only going to take the church home, but he's going to take Christians home. God will help you. And you know what? As we've said in First and Second Peter, I believe there is tribulation, small t. There's trouble, there are trials before the tribulation, capital T. That seven-year period of time that the prophet Daniel prophesied. I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. Absolutely, I do. 
that doesn't mean we won't go through some trouble before the tribulation. And you may, you may take it hard. You may be the object of some of that. But know that God knows how to deliver the righteous out of trouble. Amen? Now, as we've talked about pilgrims in Babylon, the journeys made harder and more challenging by false teachers. But God is with us, and God will help us. If you need to speak with someone about your spiritual condition, you know that you're not a Christian, you need the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're ready to repent of sin and turn in faith to Jesus Christ, I want you to write this number down and call it 877-247-2426. Again, 877-247-2426. When you call that number, someone who cares about you will share with you the gospel and help you come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. For others of you who believe you already are a Christian, perhaps you know you've wandered from where you should be, and you need spiritual counsel and help. Call that number. Thank you so much for listening today to This Week in the Word. It's been my honor and pleasure to preach and teach the Word of God. And this has been a long episode, so you get a gold star for hanging in there with me. I want you to be a missionary. I want you to tell somebody this week about this podcast. It may be a Christian who needs encouragement. It may be someone you want to see saved. Tell them to look for dredhill.podbean.com. That's www.dredhill.com. Dot P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com. They can listen free 24-7, 365, anywhere in the world. It won't cost them anything, and I don't have any merch. God bless you. Have a great week in Christ.